The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome. Welcome to Museum Life today. This is Carol Bossert. So glad that you've joined us. The program today is uh, very exciting for me. You know, one of, there are many great things about doing this weekly radio show, but one of the most fun uh, and great, uh, great things is when my former guests recommend future guests to me. And so, David Carr, if you are listening, thank you, thank you, thank you you for recommending today's guest. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Smith is currently uh, in New Zealand. So again, uh, Jeffrey, thank you for arranging your schedule and meeting, uh, being able to talk with us today. Jeffrey, I'm going to give Jeff the opportunity to talk a little bit more about his uh, personal and professional trajectory, uh, including how he got to New Zealand. But before I do, I just want to want to tee up the program a little bit. Uh, once I got to know Jeffrey a little bit, I then also discovered that he is the author of a very interesting book with a very intriguing title called The Museum Effect, How Museums, Libraries, and Cultural Institutions Educate and Civilize Society. So not being very shy, Jeff is um, making some pretty big claims, but uh, and I'll steal the punchline here, he can back them up with research. And uh, as, as you know, uh, listening to my show, that is one of my hobby horses, making sure that not only do we love museums and say we love museums and tell everybody that we love museums and why, but we back it up with, uh, with research data. And that can sometimes uh, be an art form in itself. So with... Uh, Without taking up any more of our precious hour, Jeff, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much, Carol. It's 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 great to be here, and and um, I, I really appreciate uh, the invitation to join you for this hour. I am sitting here on the south end of the South Island of New Zealand, where I live. I can um, I can look out over the South Pacific um, as we talk, and uh, it's 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 as as your guest will be able to um your your audience will note i'm not a kiwi 
Um, I'm an American. I'm a Yank. It's what 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 I get called down here. We've been here um, a little over nine years now. And uh, so, for anybody's listening who has ever thought, "Geez, I'd like to go to New Zealand someday," let me tell you, New Zealand does not disappoint. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people, and and we're really happy to be living here. Well, fabulous. Now that we're all jealous, uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff, I I. Only, uh, I did not, and purposely, I didn't uh, really say very much about your credentials or your career trajectory, which is uh, quite exemplary. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just share a little bit with our listeners about your career trajectory and particularly what experiences have been pivotal in your thinking about the importance of museums? Sure, Carol. Um, Well, I should mention I'm... um I'm not an art historian. Uh, I'm not even a museum person uh, by training. I'm, I'm a research methodologist by training, uh, social science research methodologist. Um, quantitative psychologist would probably be the simplest way to put it. Uh, I got my Ph.D. at the University of Chicago back in 1977, um, and I went to work at Rutgers University in New Jersey, um, actually went there in 1976 to teach statistics and measurement in the uh, Graduate School of Education at Rutgers. And probably the the, the most pivotal um, experience I had in terms of uh, terms of where I am today occurred when David Carr took the office next to mine in the Graduate School of Education. And I'm, I know that you and David are great friends and. Um, and and your audience is probably all familiar with with David, but but if I might, I mean, uh, to me, David is pretty much Yoda for uh, for museum specialists. He uh, he is he's simply in my mind just just the wisest and most elegant person um, who is looking at museums today. So he came and and um, and took the office next to mine at Rutgers and we would spend hours talking about museums and and he convinced me that perhaps um, looking at museums and what goes on in museums might be a good thing for a quantitative uh, researcher to take a look at. So that was was kind of um, step number one and then step number two was when I got the opportunity to to start the Office of Research and Evaluation at the Metropolitan Museum of Art – which took place, I think that was 1988, um, when I started there, and my wife joined me there shortly uh, thereafter. My wife is also a quantitative research methodologist. Um, we're a very odd couple um, in that respect, and so um, we went together to the uh, to the Metropolitan and started conducting research on evaluating educational programs um, and generally looking at how people use the museum. Shortly after we got there, the the, the director at the time, Philippe de Montebello, um, sort of discovered that we had an interesting toolkit. And so he would he would call us up and ask questions. Could you study this? Could you study that? Could you study the other thing? And the answer to those questions uh, was always yes, we can do that. And so we undertook just a host of really fun and interesting uh, research questions, ranging from do the banners that hang outside the museum pay for themselves in terms of uh, in terms of increased attendance um, to the exhibitions, uh, to do long labels cause traffic jams in um, 
in in special exhibitions. And so we, uh, what was wonderful uh, about being at the Met was so many of these studies were. Uh, important to important decisions that were going to be made there. And the other thing that was fun was that they almost always had to be turned around incredibly quickly. Um, being an academic, I'm used to working on problems for years at a time rather than uh, getting the problem in the morning and having to have an answer in the afternoon. So that was probably the second most important thing. And, and we did that from 88 until 2005 when we moved here to New Zealand. Uh, and then the third most important thing was was um, when Paul Locker gave us a call. Paul is a um, Paul studies the psychology of of aesthetics, and he gave us a call shortly after we were at the Met and asked us if we wanted to do research with him at the Met specifically on the psychology of aesthetics or how people um, look at art. So those three things sort of coming together really uh, changed. Uh, a lot of my career path. I, I the other area I do work in is is school assessment. Um, how teachers can use assessment to help kids learn, and so uh, so school assessment and the psychology of aesthetics and music um, learning in museums seems like a um, a pretty broad range, but but um, but it's sort of interesting. Now, uh, New Zealand and in, in 2005, we got the opportunity to come down here uh, to the University of Otago and work on uh, national school assessment issues. Um, and we took that opportunity just um, just to have a big adventure, Carol. And um, so we, we all came, deserve a big adventure uh, in our lives. And, and exactly. And we just said, you know, we're not getting any younger. If we're going to have a big adventure, we better get on it. And um, and the opportunity came came open for two jobs down here, and uh, and we took those two positions. I became a professor in the uh, in the College of Education and co-director of of uh, a national assessment program here. And uh, and my wife Lisa came down on what's called soft money grant money, and within um, within. Seven, six years of being here, um, I'm still a professor, still doing pretty much the same thing. She went from being on soft money to being the dean of the College of Education. So she is now my boss in all aspects of my life, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good for her. And, and exactly. you, you, are, you are living, living a, a, a dream of sorts. But, I, but to me, the most important part of that, that dream is your ability to uh, have the tools, uh, as you said, a tool, toolkit to ask interesting questions that pull from a variety of, of different fields, uh, sci- psychology being, being only one of them. And so, and I think that that's so so very important. I, I'm going to just digress for a moment. I can I I've I've got to know. Do long labels cause traffic jams? <laughs> um, they do not. Actually, is is the short answer. But what we found, what we did was we 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 got a call. Um, I, I I went home from Rutgers one day, and my son said, "You got a call from the museum, Dad." And I said, "Oh, anybody in particular?" And he said, "Well, I don't know. Does does the museum have a director?" I said, "Yes." He goes, "Well, that's a guy who called you." And um, so we called back, and and uh, we were the the and big exhibition about Mexico had just opened, and there was some there was some congestion in it, and and the director thought maybe that was long 
labels causing that. And so the next, and we, he said, can you study that? And I said, sure. And he said, good. Can you ever report on my desk by the end of the work day tomorrow? And I went, oh, sure. And um, so we put ourselves in front of similar works of art, history, paintings, objects, etc., one of which had a long label and one of which had a very short label. And that was not un, uncommon as it turned out in the exhibition. And we timed people as as they went up to these. And what we discovered was fascinating. With a if, if people stopped at all, and you've you've always got to differentiate people who stop versus people who just take a very quick look and and, and move on. But for people who stopped, if they stopped at the work with the short label, they would spend maybe 15, 20 seconds at the work, uh, maybe a little bit longer, but but in some of our other research we we found that that the average amount of time in front of a really important work of art is 27 seconds. So they don't spend a whole lot of time in front of works of art. But if they if they stopped in front of a work that has short label, they would spend most of that time looking at the work of art. If they stopped in front of a work of art that had a long label, what they would do is fascinating. They would scan the work of art fairly quickly, three, four, five seconds. And then they would read that long label. And when they were done reading that long label, they would take one more glance back at the work of art, give a kind of a shrug of the shoulders, and then move on. So it didn't really affect how long they spent at the work of art, but it very much affected what they did at the work of art. And and um, in writing the Museum Effect book, we... Um, just coincidentally, I got an email from a group of, of undergraduate students who were doing a class project in, uh, in Berlin, and, um, and they were replicating our, our study of how long people spend in front of works of art, and they found completely independently of us exactly the same phenomenon. Look, read, glance, move on. That's fascinating. Uh, I would have uh, predicted that a long label just clears the gallery. Uh, that would that would have now you know, and I and I say that uh, with great humility because I've spent a significant part of my career uh, looking uh, writing labels, developing labels for for various uh, projects and clients. Uh, but I had, but I had always believed that I really could do no harm with a label, and now I know I could. You could, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, Jeff, I want to get into uh, the uh, the book a little bit more, um, but, but uh, we are coming up to a break, and I don't want to start this discussion and then break us prematurely. So we're going to take a break a little bit early, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Jeff a uh, little bit more about the museum effect. It is uh, available, of course, in uh, bookstores. It is published by uh, Roman and Littlefield in, uh, in just this past year, and so I do encourage everyone to pick up a copy of that uh, uh, and remember, too, that just like David Carr, if you have a guest that you think would be great on the show or a topic that we should be discussing, please send me an email at uh, carol.bossard at verizon.net. Uh, I always love to hear t- uh, from my listeners. And so we will be back in a moment. Uh, this is uh, Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Stay tuned.
American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today we have uh, my guest is Jeff Smith, author of The Museum Effect, with a, with a very intriguing tagline that says, How Museums, Libraries, and Cultural Institutions Educate and Civilize Society. So, Jeff, I guess the most obvious question is, how did this book project come about? Well, you could, I could answer that. Two ways, from, from a very practical perspective, um, I got a uh, an email from uh, Charles Harmon at, at Roman and Littlefield asking me if I was interested in writing a book on uh, research methods in museums, and I told him that would be a possibility, certainly. But but if I really had my druthers, I would write this book about. Um, about what I call the museum effect, and I kind of laid out the underlying ideas, and and he was very eager uh, for that. So that's that's what finally got us underway. So that's a that's a very short answer, but but I'm guessing what you really want is to know is, is what what's really behind the museum effect as a concept and an idea, uh, which eventually became this book, and and basically um, having worked in museums for. Uh, quarter of a century, over a quarter of a century now, um, 
there were a number of, of, of findings that would come up in our studies, some of which are published and, and many of which are, are sort of proprietary to the museums that we did the, uh, that we did the research for, but that, would, that, that we would find consistently. And, and uh, let me just give you a couple of, of, of those notions. Um, one is people would frequently tell us that their museum visit was outstanding, wonderful, spectacular, life-altering, etc. We would get those kinds of comments in, in comment books and written on questionnaires. Um, but in all honesty, when we would watch people in the museum, and, and we, we did just a ton of that over the years, they didn't look like people who were having life-altering experiences. They, were, they looked like people who were looking at art in museums, um, which we all tend to do quietly, uh, fortunately, and, and um, you don't see a whole lot of waving of arms or gasping, etc. You see people in, in contemplation. Um, and yet we would get those responses so frequently, so regularly, that, that we, we couldn't discount them. So, so one thing was, why is it that people are telling us that their experiences are, are so moving uh, and so great? Um, and, and yet we see, you know, fairly restrained behavior um, in the museums. A second thing that fascinated us is in questionnaires, we would ask people, do you prefer to look at uh, many works of art for a short period of time or a few works of art for a long period of time? And, and people distribute themselves out uh, fairly broadly with regard to that. There are a lot of people who say, no, I like to look at a number of works. and the, But there are other people who say, I, I like to work and look at just a few works for a long period of time. And, and that led us to... to conduct a systematic study of how long people spend in front of um, in front of works of art and as I mentioned earlier um, the average and this is looking at seven masterpieces at the Metropolitan the average was 27 seconds and the median amount of time which is which is the middle if you if you rank order all the amounts of time from the low quickest to the longest the median would be at the 50th percentile and that was 17 seconds and so, and, and the longest anybody looked, of, of, I think we had 150 people in the sample, the longest anybody looked at a work of art uh, was just a little bit over three minutes. And so it's, it's, again, a little bit hard to reconcile that life-altering, dramatic response that we get from people so often with the notion that, that in fact, they're looking at a lot of works of art for fairly short periods of time. So that was, that was kind of a second um, uh, finding that, that, that we got that we were curious, um, curious about and, and trying to, trying to, to, to reconcile. Um, another finding that, that we had is that although people frequently go to museums in groups, typically with one other person, but, but also in groups that are larger than that, if you watch people in museum settings and art museums in particular, Typically, they look alone. Um, in in our timing study, I think over over eighty percent of the people were looking at the work of art that they were looking at alone. As a matter of fact, if you watch three people who are in a group enter a a room in a in a museum together, it it will look quickly like they're held together with a very large rubber band. Um, 
one person will go to a work, another person will go to a different work, another person will go to a different work, and then they might come together again and they might spread back out. Somebody might call somebody over, but most of that looking will be done individually and then the group will, will, will move on to the, uh, to the next room. And so we had a number of, of, of findings that we couldn't quite make sense out of as a whole. And then, um, we started thinking about, well, what does it really mean when people tell us how important these, these visits are? And I had a doctoral student, Isabella Vashkolevich, who I think is now Isabella Garelich. So hi, Isabella, if you're listening. Um, and she came to me and she said, you know that feeling that you have when you're leaving an art museum? It's kind of like the same feeling um, as when you're leaving church. You just feel better about yourself as a human being. And I said, yep, I know exactly what you mean, and, and we've got a lot of evidence that, that people really have that feeling um, as a result of going to, to museums. And she said, well, I want to test that out. I want to look at that systematically for my, for my uh, doctoral dissertation. And I said, we can do that. Let's give it a try. And we ran a pilot study at the Met and got a finding that was very – confusing to us. We did the study in the Great Hall of the Met, and we gathered up probably three or four hundred people, and we asked them some questions about um, how they felt about themselves as individuals and how well they interacted with other people, what they thought about society and stuff like that. And since in the Great Hall, people are both coming to the museum and leaving the museum from the Great Hall, we asked people, where are you in, in your visit? Are you at the beginning? Are you at the end? Are you, in, are you in the middle of your visit? And what we found, Carol, and this is kind of the heart of the issue, what we found was people who said they were at the beginning of their visit had kind of a, um, a moderate to low level of response to those questions. People who said they were in the middle of their visits had significantly higher responses to those questions. And then, and this was the baffler, people who said they were leaving the museum were back down again toward where the people who were entering said they were. And so what we found was it was people who were mid-visit who were telling us things like, I think about where I'm going in my life. I'm concerned about how I interact with um, other people. I'm a good listener. I'm concerned about where society is going. I think about the good of the whole as opposed to just myself. Whole host of questions like that that we did. And, and then we ran this study at, at, at both the Whitney Museum and, and at the Michener Museum down outside of Philadelphia and got fundamentally exactly the same set of findings. It is when people are mid-visit that they are really thinking better thoughts about themselves um, and, and how they interact with others and how they view society. And so that's sort of the essence of, of what the museum effect is. And let me, let me just stop yeah. you for a moment yeah. to make sure I, I understood. Um, so if all of your test subjects were in the Great Hall, uh, mm-hmm. at you even as if they were in mid uh, uh, visit because they were simply you know traversing the hall to get from ga- you know gallery A to gallery right. B uh, so they weren't surrounded by art necessarily when they were having this 
transformational, uh, more in-depth uh, uh, experience or, or, or insight in, into themselves, they were still in the Great Hall. So, so you sort of neutralized the, uh, uh, the space effect. Well, to a degree, but, but I should say that that was in, that was in our pilot study. All right. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. When we went to the Whitney and then to the Michener, what we did was we gathered the first set of data, the entry data, at some point immediately after entry. We gathered the mid-visit data within the confines of the museum itself where the art was. All right. And the exit data would again be close to where people would be leaving the museum, but but – one of the things that you always have to be wary of when you're conducting research in museums um, is it's a heck of a lot easier to get hold of people as they're entering than when they're leaving. When people are ready to go, they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's harder to get them to, um, to, to fill out a questionnaire. And so there, our exit um, our exit locations where, where, where people wouldn't really be out of the museum necessarily, you know, and just about to leave, but where they would, we would clearly be catching them um, as as they were going. And what, what we found at the Whitney and at the Michener, we had a, a, a scale that I'd used for, for looking at citizenship issues that had three subscales on it. One was what we called an intrapersonal, how do I feel my life is going, sort of a, a, a questionnaire. One was interpersonal. Am I a good friend? Am I a good listener? Am I concerned about others? The third scale was societal. Am I concerned about where society is going and about, you know, the future of the world? Questions of that nature. At the Whitney, um, again, similar to the Met, on the intake, people were at a certain level. Mid-visit, they were statistically significantly higher than that. Upon exit, you could see that that effect was waning. It wasn't all the way back down to the beginning, but it had, it, it, it had clearly lessened from people who were in mid-visit. At the Michener, we have same beginning, same middle, but at the end, I, I, I need to say that one of the scales was still very high. Um, and those were people who were just coming out of a Romare Bearden exhibition, a great Robert, Romare Bearden exhibition, um, and they were still high on that kind of societal um, level scale, but we had had been coming down basically on the other two. So, and and it was that study from from Isabella's dissertation um, that that really convinced me, convinced us that that this effect, this notion of things being really important, life altering, et cetera, et cetera. Why? It's because looking at those works of art cause people to engage in serious reflection upon who they are, who they were, who they might become, where their lives are going. And um, what, what, what we've done is gone back and thought about a lot of the things that, that had gone on before. People look at a lot of works of art for a short period of time. That's your typical visit to a museum. Another thing is that when people go to an art museum – they're ready to be receptive to art, all right? They, they are looking forward to engaging in that kind of um, uh, reflective um, uh, interaction. So 
what we what we see is what we think is happening is each work of art might be thought of as kind of a mirror that you're looking at and you see yourself in this and each work of art is different from the previous one you saw um, and so you see a little bit different reflection I look at one work of art and, and maybe I see a little girl in it who reminds me of my granddaughter and and that gets me thinking about my relationships you know with my son and my daughter and my stepdaughter and my grandchild and am I a good grandfather um, and am I doing all these things and then I might go on to to a picture after that and and it might be a landscape and so I move from these feelings about family to this landscape and uh, and I might think about how lucky I am to be living uh, in New Zealand because that landscape is engendering those kinds of thoughts. And so our notion is you go from one work of art to the next work of art. Each of these works of art presents something to you that if you kind of let yourself go, let yourself engage in that work as a human being, uh, as an individual with, with whatever it is that you bring to that work of art, that that work can be meaningfully meaningful to you personally and then you move on to the next work of art and you're getting a different reflection of yourself to contemplate. So that's basically the idea behind, behind the museum effect. Very, very interesting, interesting work. Uh, an interesting methodology, uh, very interesting uh, results. I'm going to stop us here uh, so that we can take our second break. And when we come back more with Jeff Smith, and we'll talk a little bit about how these findings might be t- might be applied more broadly. Uh, so again, remember that the uh, title of the book is uh, The Museum Effect and uh, published by uh, Roman and Littlefield. It is available for purchase and uh, I recommend it highly. It is a good uh, read. Jeffrey, you are a great uh, great writer, very conversational. Uh, Thank so, you so much. So, uh, so everyone go out and buy the book. But Before you do that, stay tuned. We have one more segment. Uh, So we will be back in just a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Uh, We will be back. A nice glass of wine is very refreshing after the end of a long day. But have you ever considered the story behind the wine? Tune in to Bacchus and Beery Wine Radio with your hosts, Roger and Donna Beery. You'll meet some of the people behind the world's wineries, travel the wine country, and learn more about that glass that you're enjoying. Roger and Donna will also give would-be vintners a behind-the-scenes look at starting a winery. Bacchus and Beery Wine Radio airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. 
Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and I've been having a great conversation with Jeff Smith, uh, talking about his research and his uh, research methodology in identifying the museum effect. And uh, I've told you a little bit about his book, but I also want to mention that uh, Jeff is a researcher for hire, and because of the wonderful world of digital media and Skype, uh, just because he's in New Zealand doesn't mean that he can't work uh, for you no matter where you are in the world. And so you can reach him at jeffreyksmith at gmail.com. And that address will also be available up on the Museum Life website under the author's category. And uh, I, I think, Jeff, you know, we were just talking a little bit at the break. One of the trends that museums are, are faced with these days, of course, really all nonprofits are faced with, is is this trend toward impact-driven philanthropy. Uh, I have, I've read many articles, I've talked with many colleagues and board members, uh, and there does seem to be a, a, a true and permanent shift away from philanthropy that is just giving money for good works to philanthropy that really wants to make a difference in a community or in a society. Uh, And I think sometimes museums are a little baffled about how to do that. And um, there are people such as Mary Ellen Munley and and certainly we've talked about David Carr who have been doing some interesting things in this regard. But I'm I'm wondering, it, it it seems to me that that your uh, your thesis with the museum effect uh, on the museum effect and and your uh, your methodology could help us get to some of these questions of of lasting impact. Are are you looking at that kind of uh, uh, are, are you going in that direction? Uh, yeah, we are. Um, and 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 in and and thank you so much for for. Um, for, for calling out my Gmail address and, and, and for museum people, um, if, if, 
um, for hire means working together. I'm, I'm a professor at the University of Otago, and more than anything else, I'm interested in conducting research with museums. And so if, if you're interested in working with me um, on, on conducting some research, uh, that, that, would be, that would be just out, outstanding. Um, this, it doesn't have to have a financial consequence um, for, for, for me at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very well compensated by the University of Otago. Um, the one of the things that we used to do at the Met and and for other museums um, were economic impact studies, Carol. Where if there were a major exhibit at the at the museum, we would go in and we we would uh, ask people if they were at you know in town specifically to see the exhibition at the at the museum. Uh, we'd count up those numbers. We'd find out how much money they were spending at the museum, um, and we would come up with an overall economic impact estimate. Um, of the exhibition for the city in which the museum um, resided, and uh, at, at the Met, those numbers are are, are frequently astronomical. Um, Five hundred thousand visitors to a to a big exhibition at the Met is is not unusual. Um, maybe thirty forty percent of those people are are from out of town and came to New York. Um, in order to go to that exhibition, that the exhibition was an important aspect of, of why they went, uh, why they came to, to New York City. And it's New York City. You can't spend a weekend in New York City without spending $1,000, $2,000 typically. Um, and if you run all those numbers together, the economic impact frequently in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and, and so that's important. Um, from a purely financial perspective, but what we really wanted to do is is to say, yeah, but museums are are, are important for other reasons. Museums are important um, for what they do for the citizenry. Um, you know, the, the 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 Metropolitan Museum of Art is not just a a one of the world's greatest art museums. It's a real source of pride for New Yorkers, and it's 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 a it's a place. Um, it's a sanctuary. It's it's a place on um, when your week's not going well that you you can go and and renew yourself. You can restore yourself, and that's what museums are. Even even if it's I write about in the museum effect. I write about um, a wonderful small museum uh, not far from where I live called called. Um, it was called the Waikueti Museum. I think it's now called the. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. The Waikueti Heritage Center, I believe, and and in in talking with the folks there, <clears throat> uh, with Helen McComb and Linda Doubleday there at 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 that museum, they told me about a a, a young Maori man who came to the museum, and he had um, uh, heard that. One of his ancestors had come to that, come to the area, the Waiku area, Waikueti area, well over a hundred years ago, um, and had gotten married there, and that his name might be on some sort of a roll, his ancestor's name, and they were able to say, "Yep, we have that roll." They looked it up. There was his great 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 grandfather's name, first one on there for having been married. Also turns out, unbeknownst to him, that his great-great-great-great-grandmother had converted to Christianity at that time. All of that was contained there at the Waikueti Museum, which is this wonderful little community 
museum that reflects this is who we are as a town. This is what's important to us. This is our history, um, and 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 we preserve it and we keep it here for for people to be able to come and visit and and really reflect on on what this town was and who we are as a people. And so, museums are critical both for for what they can do for individuals who come into them, but also it's just the concept of, of, of a group of people, of a town, of a group of people who are interested in a particular, uh, particular area or a particular um, historical aspect who have come together and said, we believe that this is worth preserving and presenting to the future. And, and that aspect of the importance of museums uh, does, that story doesn't get told enough, and that's in part the story I want to tell um, in the museum effect that that the whole notion of a museum is is something that that defines civilized societies, and that when individuals come to museums, they can engage in the kinds of activities that aren't available to them in other venues. I'm, I'm a big sports fan. And I love going to games, all right? And I love I, – I watch them on television. I go to stadia. I watch – I love minor league baseball. Um, but I engage in a different sort of thing when I'm being a sports fan or when um, I'm also a discus and hammer thrower. Um, and when I'm engaging in that, I'm doing entirely different things than when I go to an art museum and and – uh, or a history museum, and it's important that people who provide funding uh, understand just how important our cultural institutions um, are to us and the kinds of activities that go on in those cultural institutions. And so that, that I hope, will be, um, will be one of the effects of the museum effect. Well, I... Thank you. That is a, a very, very good answer. I'm glad, though, that you moved quickly away from the economic argument because while it is one that uh, you know, large destination attractions such as the Metropolitan Museum of Art or the Louvre or, or the Prado or, you know, there, there are many, many other institutions that are uh, attractants for their, their city. They do uh, power the, the tourist and the economic engine. Uh, many are not, and I think we're also learning that the the days of the blockbuster are over. They're not very sustainable, and so many museums, as I go around the country and talking to museum directors, are really beginning to to realize the fallacy of sort of the their entertainment model. And mm-hmm. uh, and they're 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 groping uh, or grasping for something that is more um, uh, perhaps less tangible but no less important. And that was your second point that we don't live by bread alone. We need roses, and uh, that that a cultural community is not defined and should not be defined by a single. Uh, organization, be it a sports stadium or uh, a a uh, a museum. So I I think that 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 it's all part of the fabric of what mm-hmm. we're uh, of what we are about as a civilization. I, I I couldn't agree more. And and they are they are gems in every society in which 
in which they reside and and they don't have to be big places um they don't have to put on blockbuster events um one of the other things i saw in the waikueti museum were the uh the plans for what was called the lunatic asylum um which was built not far from waikueti um and and which existed for i think about 80 years um the the asylum at Seacliff and um, uh, is no longer in existence, burned down. Um, and and when we look at it from today's perspective, we see lots of um, well, in all honesty, lots of of bad things that occurred there and occurred to people there. Um, but in looking at those plans that are there at the YQ Kuwaiti Museum, uh, they were hopeful. They were. They. It was going to be the best of the lunatic asylums. It was. You know. It, it, it was. It, it was done by people who were trying to do good, um, and and to be able to see that there and reflect upon, you know, how is it that we treat people who are different in our society? Um, and, I, and I happen to know a lot about about that that asylum there uh, because I'm so fascinated by it that that I've read up on it. But to see the plans there. And to say, geez, when these plans were drawn, this thing didn't exist. There was no asylum there. And then it came into being. It had a life of about 80 years and uh, and some good things happened and some really tragic things happened. Uh, and then it went out of existence. And I thought, boy, that's there's a real parallel there to a human life. Um, it, you know, we come into this world full of hope and 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 um, and and potential and we live our lives and good things happen and bad etc and so so being able to reflect on that parallelism between an institution and a human life was um uh, it was important and worthwhile to me and and one of the things that i would encourage museums to do uh, museums especially art museums and and history museums are are object centered they they collect and preserve objects and then and that's critical to them um but but also what I would encourage is is to think hard about their visitors and 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 obviously they they think hard about their visitors and 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 have always but but to think about meeting the visitor where the visitor is with regard to this um maybe telling the stories about their objects that they that they that they don't often tell about them or to encourage people to look at at these works from their own perspective and their own background whatever that is one of the things we found often in in talking to people in museums art museums is that people feel insecure they feel like they don't know how to look at the works of art that they're doing it wrong um you know that they're they're bumpkins and um uh and if and and they'd like to be able to look at a work of art the way an art historian looks at a work of art but but the fact of the matter is they can't unless they want to go off and get a phd in art history that that's not who they are and i think what what we need to do is to say the way you are looking at it is okay if if you just love the colors love the colors that's fine if if looking at two or three works by the same artist really inspires you to go learn more about that artist that's even better if you want to look at the dog in that picture and think about your dog, that's absolutely super too. Um, think about about 
what that artist put there and and what it means to you coming to it as a human being because that's that's uh, artists don't paint in order and at any rate historically uh, in order to say, geez, I'm going to be in a museum someday and I'm going to com- be competing with all of these other things and I really want people to see the influence of this previous artist on my art or that is what, what they're trying to do, I think, is communicate to the people who, who might ultimately uh, be looking at their works and to do things that they are happy with and then once the painting's done and it's on the wall, that's kind of, you know, the artist has made his pitch or her pitch, and now it's up to you as the individual to really get as much out of that as you possibly can. And what you do get out of it is fine. Um, and that, that's kind of where I'm going next with, uh, with some of my research, actually. Well, that's, that's very interesting. And you actually answered by your choice of the, uh, of the asylum exib- or, uh, example uh, one of my other questions, which is how can the museum affect uh, uh, information and findings be applied to, to other, organ- uh, other museums, other types of museums, uh, natural history museums or, or uh, uh, history museums. And it sounds to me that you're saying that, that there, there is application because uh, they are object-based uh, institutions and perhaps even expanding it a bit to objects being uh, ideas. It, exactly right, and they're ideas that have meanings for us personally. The 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 what I'm uh, working on presenting at the next conference I go to is is kind of a spinoff from the museum effect of, that I'm calling personal connoisseurship. And what I mean by personal connoisseurship is developing an appreciation for the objects that you are looking at and what they mean and how they came into being. And at the same time, bringing who you are as an individual to that personal interaction so that when you look at an object, uh, be it a painting, be it a, uh, I don't know, a a bottle cap opener, um, which actually historically were pretty interesting, um, you meet that object halfway. You take that object for what it is and know about it, what you can know about it, and then bring who you are to that object and, and, and let that interaction play out as it will. And you can get better and better at doing that. And as you get better at doing that, your museum visits are going to become more meaningful and more important to you. Well, and I would say not only museum visits, but the ability to look more deeply at something is, is a skill that can be applied to, to many aspects of, of our life. Uh, this has been a fascinating discussion, Jeff. We could go on for another hour and perhaps uh, when you get your, your second, uh, your, your next uh, uh, thesis uh, underway, I'd like to bring you back. I think that this is very important research and I'm glad we've had an opportunity to talk today. 
Great. Thanks so much for having me, Carol. It's, it's been a real pleasure. My, my pleasure as well. Remember, uh, Jeff is always looking for good friends and good museums to do research with, and you'll be able to find his information on uh, the Museum Life website. Again, his book is The Museum Effect uh, by Rowan and Littlefield. And I will be back next week with another great conversation and show. Thanks very much for listening this week. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 